born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. See, there's a lot of people that are supposedly in the Lord's work for the purpose of making money. And there's a lot of people just ripping others off because they can make good money because of the ignorance of individuals. If you know the truth, they couldn't get you. They can only get ignorant people because they don't know the truth. And people are like cattle, like sheep. That's what God says. And so there's people that are just easily taken in, and there's a lot of preachers that just reap, and also all they're interested in is, is the money. As the Bible says, and Peter talks about merchandise of the people. And this is what they do. All this is, has to merchandise, making money, keeping people steeped in religion, religion that has no value to it. I want you to look at this verse with me. It's uh, in the book of uh, Psalms 135. Look back in Psalms 135. Psalms 135. And look at in verse 14, Psalms 135, verse 14. For the Lord will judge his people, and he will repent himself concerning his servants. The idols of the heathen, the idols of the heathen. So I don't know as that Paul went attacking as much as he went proclaiming the truth, the gospel. And when people saw the truth, they could see the air. So he says here, the idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouth. That they make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Now, Look in a 115th Psalm, 115th Psalm, and look there in verse 8, 115th Psalm, and look in verse 8. They that make them are like unto them, so is everyone that trusteth in them. In other words, they're like, as the scripture talks about, dumb idols, dumb idols. Look in 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. Look here in verse 4. 
as you see, as he talks to the people here that are at Corinth, when he wrote this letter to them in verse 4, As concerning, therefore, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is what? Nothing. It's nothing. Nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. There's only one true and living God. See, the apostle Paul not only had to lead people to the Lord, but they were steeped in religion. And then you start teaching the truth, and then when you read the book of Thessalonians, where he talks about that they not only trust the Lord, but to deliver them from worshiping of idols, chapter 1. So there is something about what God says when you see the truth and know the truth. Even though the apostle Paul, do you see why they wanted to kill this guy? He pulled no punches. He could not do what he did if he was afraid to die. And even though he might have been afraid to die, and he says he was even with these people in fear and in much trembling, but he loved truth more. See, we're supposed to live for the Lord and follow truth regardless of where it may lead. Follow truth regardless of where it leads. We don't have to determine the outcome of how it's going to work. Just serve the Lord and let God deal with all the rest of it. So it's, uh, it's an important thing. And um, while we're right there, in, uh, look in chapter 12. Chapter 12. And look in verse 2 where he makes a statement, Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these, what kind of idols? These dumb idols, even as ye were led. You were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols. Now, he was reaching now into the pockets of these silversmiths, people that made money off of all that stuff. So when people know the truth, you know, they begin to try to correct a few things. And they realize, I, I don't need this idol. This is what was going on here. See, when you see the truth and you understand, you know, I don't need that. I don't need to do that anymore. I'm not trying to earn my way to heaven. It's such an eye-opener to people who've never heard it before. That's why the most powerful message in the world that can change people's lives, how they live, is the truth of that simple message of the gospel. When people can see it and understand it. And it, it changed my whole life. I wasn't in idol worship except myself. I just look into the mirror and I say, you tiger, you don't you ever die. Okay, well, maybe I didn't do exactly like that. But I decided I, I want to serve the Lord. There's just something that happened inside of me. I don't know if it happens to everybody, but it did me. I wanted something more. I wanted to serve the Lord. I wanted to do whatever God wanted me to do. I didn't care what it was, where to go, what to be. Nothing else mattered. All I wanted was what God wanted for me. And uh, as I look back now, 50 years, I wasn't such a bad decision after all. God's been good to me. Anyway, go back there to the book of Acts. You know, at this rate, I don't know if we'll ever finish the book of Acts. Look in verse 26. Moreover, we see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul. You ought to underline that word, this Paul. Because, see, this Paul 
was about this way. They kind of went together. This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. You know, the man told the truth. He told the truth. Paul does say that. It is right. There is no God but the one true and living God. So in verse 27, so that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. So uh, maybe they were concerned a little bit about Diana and, you know, the temple there. I think. It was their money that was mentioned first. They were concerned about themselves and then this temple. Well, later on, as you go down through here, you'll find out that, buddy, did it cause a problem. It seems like there's always somebody trying to stir up trouble. Somebody just wants to stir up, but they always have a, a hidden motive. Of course, they didn't tell the people, hey, we're concerned about our job. No, it was, hey, they're teaching things contrary to the goddess of uh, Diana. You know, the sex goddess. I mean, that's our God. Our temple. So it's not totally the truth. So he says here in verse 28, And when they heard these things, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now, who made them do this? Now, there was a temple there, and there was a theater there. This theater held between twenty-five and 30,000 people. And no doubt, some people say this was in about the month of May. I don't know what month it was, but that people would come together and from all over at that time, the known world, just like we'd have in Jerusalem, you know, the Passover, they would come to this place there in Ephesus. And so there was a lot of people there from everywhere. Well, where would you like to go if you was Paul? And look in, look in verse 29. And now remember that all this was started because of one man named Demetrius. The whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, he says, men of Macedonia. Now, Gaius, you've heard of him where he says in the book of Corinthians, he says, I baptized none but Crispus and Gaius. Now, the other guy, he wound up going to Rome uh, with Paul. And so how much he got involved, it doesn't say, but he was a man of, of great character. But he says, Paul's companion in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. This is the public arena where they had about twenty-five to 30,000 people could be in this one place. Certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, and chances are these were Romans that were in place of leadership, but not necessarily People that had believed on the Lord doesn't say that, just that they were friends of Paul, or maybe they liked what Paul said or what he did, or I don't know. It doesn't say. And there's nobody that knows what it was or what the reasons were. But he does say this. Sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. They didn't want Paul, and the disciples did not want Paul to go in there. So they were concerned about him because this was turned into an ugly mob. People getting all riled up. Wouldn't you love to have seen this on video? Somebody could have been there and videotaped this thing. I mean, I mean, it would have been awesome. What a movie this stuff would have made. Just to go around with a video camera. 
Uh, we're going to let Peter do that. Just videotape everything that was going on. Hmm. Could have used that. So he says in verse 32, Some therefore cried one thing, some another, for the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not that wherefore they were even come together. Some of them didn't even know why. The majority of the people had no clue what was going on. But somebody, one person, got it all started. And now getting everybody all riled up, and they are all confused and don't even know why. And so in verse 33, and they drew Alexander out of the multitude. The Jews put in him forward. The Jews did. And Alexander beckoned with the hand and would have made his defense unto the people. I don't believe that this Alexander was going to defend Paul, but was going to make his defense to the people of what's going on and why. But because they knew and saw that he was a Jew, well, that backfired on him. So he says here in verse 34, when they all knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Now, can you believe for two hours they sat there and chanted this statement, this phrase? Sounds like some of our songs we have today that we call 711. Seven words and they repeat it 11 times. And to have them sit there and go through and do all of this for two hours. You'd think it'd all be hoarse by now. But it says in verse 35, when the town clerk, which was responsible for the peace, had appeased the people, he said, you men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is a worshiper of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Jupiter? So he's putting his stamp of approval upon their religion of what they believe and how that she fell from heaven and there was an image, and lo and behold, this temple is dedicated to her. All that that he did was to appease. And probably that's what he believed. But he knows that if this gets back, because there was a Roman law, that if you caused a mob to cause the chaos, you were put to death. That's why even in Rome, they were supposed to do things decently and in order, and you had your courts. And so they wanted them to go to court and do it in an orderly manner. And if they didn't do it, he's responsible. So he's got to calm the crowd. Look who Diana is. Who is Paul? He's probably just a Jew and Christianity because Jesus is a Jew. It's all the same. Don't worry about it. It's not going to go anywhere. Not going to amount to anything. No big deal. Let it alone. Boy, did they get it all wrong. It wasn't long before the gospel shook the whole Roman Empire. One little old bitty Jew. One little old man that shook the world. How God used that little individual. What a story. But it says here in verse 36, Seeing then that these things cannot be spoken against, you ought to be quiet. To do nothing rashly. For ye have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches. I mean, 
another way of looking at it, they, the word church is like ecclesia. It's used several times down here in verse 39, also in verse 41, talking about the assembly, which is called out ones. And so uh, the word ecclesia in the Greek is also what the church is, the called out ones. So we're a church. Sometimes that word is used also reference to the people in the wilderness in the Old Testament, the church in the wilderness, which was a, the called out ones. And so the Jews many times, even though they did not agree with all these gods, they believed in only one God. Well, here's Paul preaching only one God. But sometimes the Jews didn't mind taking the, the objects and selling them. And so they were considered they didn't steal anything. They weren't robbing the temple and then selling them for a profit. Let it alone. Don't make something out of anything. So he says, nor yet blasphemous of your goddess. I mean, they haven't said anything against Diana. They were preaching the gospel, which when people see it and understand it, it does affect. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against any man, the law is open, and there are deputies. Let them implead one another. In other words, take it to court and do it the right way, but not in a mob. Because he was to keep the peace. That was his responsibility. So in verse 39, but if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. Because this is still under Rome rule. And therefore, if they don't watch it, this man Demetrius could be killed for citing a riot. But look what he says here in verse 40. For we are in danger to be called in question for this day's uproar. There being no cause whereby we may give an account of this concourse. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. See, the one up there was a lawful assembly. And this one that he just dismissed was a mob assembly. In a lot of difference. When you know what the word of God says, we should obey it. And we know that God's word overrides man's law. We're to obey the Lord regardless of what it might lead to, the consequences of it. We're supposed to do what's right. And God got something wonderful out there for us. You know, I was thinking the other day, I, well, it wasn't the other day, it was today. I got outside and I was walking around and I was just standing out there in the parking lot. That Man, that sun feels so good. I just stood there and let the sun just beat down on me. Boy, it felt so good. You know, because sometimes you sit in the office and you don't have the warmth of the sun on you. And you go outside and, oh, that feels so good. I could stand there and just go to sleep with the sun shining on me. And I don't care how hot it gets. Heat don't bother me none. I, I love it. You can get 110 degrees. I'd probably just, oh, this feels so good. And then I got me a cup of coffee. And I walked around, and I even got back on the other people's property back there, and I was looking at the, the, the buildings that we have and our fence back there. And I was looking, and I thought, you know, God's been good to us. God's given us some wonderful facilities here. Then I started thinking about certain people in the church. Boy, we got some good people here. And I also thought about, I wonder what's, what's going to happen next. I know I'm not going to live forever. I think I'm seven years old, and I wasn't feeling too good. You know, when you're not feeling good, you start thinking about things, you know. And I thought, you know, one of these days, I'm going to croak. 
I'm going to be out of here. If the Lord should tarry, I know I'm not going to last forever. And I thought it should be nice to have good, strong people in the church to step up and do right. Every place of leadership, good men, something happens to you, they keep serving the Lord and just church goes. I, I, let me just say this for I'm in that zone right now. I just want to talk. When I came down here, I never promised y'all I would be another Hank Lindstrom. Did I? I didn't promise that. I didn't promise that I could give you steak and lobster for every meal. I don't recall making any promises whatsoever except that I would try to do right and teach the words I understand them. I'm not the greatest Bible teacher in the world. I'm not going to teach you all that you want to know about Hebrew and Greek. I'm not going to put the food way up there. I just bring it down here and put it on the, the bottom shelf so everybody can get a little bit. Because Christ says, no, feed my sheep, not my giraffes. So you put it down there where everybody can get some. I have no clue what you know. So I don't even worry about what you know or don't know. I teach what I know because what I know is enough to sustain me for 50 years. It caused me to have a vision, a desire, a will, the strength, the grace, whatever it is that I need to serve the Lord faithfully. So whatever it is that worked for me, is the only thing that I know to feed you. I will simply feed you with that which I have been fed, and it's been good enough for me. I cannot meet the needs of everybody, because maybe all you want is steak and lobster, and I don't have it. I know what the Word of God says, and I try to teach it the best I can. Some of you are going to be satisfied and say, boy, he's really feeding me. And with the same message that fed some, somebody else says, I'm not getting anything. Now, how am I supposed to deal with that? I don't worry about it one iota because I can't. I am me. You are you. I have no clue where you are spiritually and how much you can eat, what kind of food you really like. But I'll give you little tidbits every once in a while because that's just the way it is. But I will not seek to satisfy just one person or two people. I will try to just feed the flock. And if what I have is good enough for you, sit at the table and eat. If it's not good enough for you, then you need to find you a preacher that can spread the table that will satisfy you. Isn't that being honest enough? So... I pray that what I have, and my love for the Lord, my zeal, whatever it is about me that you like, I hope you like some of it, that it's sufficient. If it is sufficient for me, what am I supposed to do? Give you something I don't have? Do I study or prepare for my sermons? Try it. I believe that I want to give you the best that I possibly can. I am not the best. 
don't care to be. I just want to be me. But all the me that I can be. Look up here. This hand represents you and me. The wall represents sin. We all have sin upon us. God loves us, but he hates what we do wrong. And he says everyone is a sinner because we've all done things wrong. This just simply reveals what we are. All of our bad decisions, our wrong desires are just evidence of a deeper problem. We have a root problem. We're sinners. And the Bible says for us to pay for that is eternal separation from God in hell. But God loves us, wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, just as righteous as God. And none of us are perfect. None of us are righteous. We're all sinners. We've all done things wrong. And God says you cannot save yourself. So there's no amount of good works I can do to deliver myself. Going to church is good. Trying to keep the Ten Commandments, oh, that's good. Reading the Bible, oh, that's all good. But those good things will not pay for one sin. All the good that I've ever done in my whole life, all put together, will never pay for one sin. Now, that sounds a little on the frustrating side. This sin represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord. God and the flesh. Came into the world because he loves us. He hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So he came into the world and took ours. Paid for it on the cross and came back from the dead. And God said, if you and I, if we would believe, he did it for us. If I would believe, he did it for me. Or if you believe that he did it for you, he would put this payment that he made to your account, to my account. I go to heaven. All my sins are paid. All of them. Past, present, future, they're all paid. The only reason God can forgive you of any sin is because he paid for all sin. And he did that for us because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray, shall we? If you're watching by internet tonight, or if you're in the auditorium, and you never trusted Christ as your Savior, it's the most important thing in all the world. Can you imagine what the Apostle Paul went through just to explain that simple message to people everywhere he went? And it would drive him. Lest he would build upon another man's foundation, he always lifted up his eyes upon the horizon and saw the fields white and the harvest. Says, I want to go to Rome, and I, I want to go to Spain. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? You ever look across the street, the person that works with you, wherever you shop? You'd be surprised that there's a, a lot of people that's never heard the wonderful news. But if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, would you right now say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I believe that Christ died and paid for my sins, and right now I'll trust him as my Savior. Would you trust him? If you will, I'd like to have prayer for you. Would you just slip your hand up and put it right back down and say, yes, it made sense to me, and I'll trust Christ right now as my only hope of going to heaven. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. We're thankful for the time to come together and to read and study your word. Lord, there's a lot 
that we don't know and don't understand. But we know this. We know you love us. We know Christ died for us. We know you're coming back again for us. And Father, one day we'll all be together for all eternity. Help us to use the time that we have wisely to redeem the times in which we live. Bless us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. How permanent is your salvation? Can you lose it? Are you 100% sure that you'll go to heaven? To help you in answering that question, Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Jesus is coming, so keep looking up. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound and we will be changed caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.